And we're back, Stripe Show podcast on a Thursday. You know what that means? Thursday is about instruction. We bring in some of the top teachers in the world to uh, share a little bit about what they're doing on the lesson T. Some of the guys that uh, they're working with. And this week, uh, great guest, guy that's well, literally right down the road from me right now at TBC Sawgrass. He's the director of instruction. Todd Anderson. Todd, thanks for uh, taking the time joining me here on the uh, podcast. I appreciate you having me, Travis. Look forward to uh, spending a little time with you. I know you're uh, you're a busy man. You got a lot of players, uh, guys on the on the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry Tour. Got a U.S. Am champ and Tyler Stravacci that you uh, that you coach, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the podcast. But uh, this guy by the name of Billy Horschel that you've been uh, working with for a long time, the Florida Gator, who picked up another win this year this year or this time at the bmw championship over in europe 34 years of age we saw him win the world golf championship earlier this year on the pga tour he goes over to europe wins the bmw championship great field over there billy horschel continuing to play great golf that's gotta that's gotta bring a smile to your face always great to see uh any of your players win um obviously billy's I've been Billy for a long time, probably longer than any other tour player I've ever worked with. We've been together, I think, 14 years. And, you know, he's a tireless worker um, in the gym, on the practice tee, at tournaments. I mean, the guy doesn't leave anything unturned and try to get better. And it's always great when you see someone who works so hard and so passionate about not just winning, but trying to continue to improve and uh, wants to be as good as he can be and reach his potential which makes it really fun. I mean, he hasn't changed a bit since I started with him when he was at the university of Florida. He, he always wanted to to try to get better and continue to do whatever he, he could to get better. And so to see him at 34, just as passionate and working just as hard as he did when he was, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old is, is really neat to see. And it's been a pleasure to work with him and, and just see him uh, progress as a player and continue to try to, you know, get better. And, you know, obviously the next step is to try to win a major championship, which we've been working towards for a while. And his major record is not very good. And we're trying to figure out why it's not very good, but, um, you know, he plays well on the big stage, you know, winning the FedEx cup and winning world golf championship, uh, this year, finishing second, in another world golf championship. And now he's second on the race to Dubai, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he'll go back over and play the Dunhill cup here in a couple of weeks with his dad who's turning 70 this year. So that's going to be a fun little trip for him. And then go back over to Dubai for the, uh, the final event and see if he can win the overall race to Dubai. So a lot of cool stuff coming up for him. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's, it's cool to talk to Billy. I've known him for a while living here in Ponte Vedra and he's been on the podcast uh, a a couple months ago. And the one thing with Billy, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to, He's going to tell you what he thinks and he's, and he's going to articulate it. You know, he's very well thought out. We, we praise Rory McIlroy for that. I think Billy's a lot like that too. He, you know, he's a, he's a deep thinker. He's thoughtful. I always enjoy listening to him about all things golf. And he really articulated some of the things that you guys were working on in your swing, in his swing. And we'll get to that in a second, but I want to ask you being with someone that long, 15 years, that's a long time um, for a, a coach player relationship on the PGA tour. You know, we, we read about all the time guys leaving. It almost seems inevitable that that's going to happen at some point. They're exposed to so much. Sometimes you got to flip the switch. Is it a challenge? Is it something you think about like 
to keep it fresh, to keep it always kind of moving the right way where you don't want it to get stagnant. You don't want it to get stale, which it can oftentimes in golf because they spend so much time by themselves. They have so much time to think and they're exposed to so much. Is it something you think about? Like, how can I flip the switch here and keep it interesting, keep them motivated, keep them moving in the same direction? Yeah, you think about that a little bit. I mean, Billy and I have gotten to be very good friends over this time. We kind of know what works and what doesn't work. So keeping it fresh, yeah, maybe finding new ways of saying the same thing. But my theory has always been with with the players I've worked with. I kind of know kind of what they do when they play well and what they don't do well when they play poorly. And so I'm always trying to, to keep them in the same areas as far as the things that we're doing. And, and I may try to say it a little bit different or find different ways to work on it or find different games or practice drills to do to keep it a little bit fresh. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have a really good chemistry both on and off the course and Billy trusts me a hundred percent with what I say. And I think um, for someone like him, he uh, he's not a guy that's going to jump around a lot. Now, believe me, I've been fired by a lot of different players over the years and guys that I've had a lot of success with just because of the things that you mentioned. I, I think they, they want something new. They want something different. And, and I kind of feel like, I know what they need and, and I'm going to continue to tell them what they need. And if they don't like what I'm telling them, then, then they're going to probably go find somebody else and try to hear what they want to, they want to hear. But I, I never really approach it as I'm worried about losing a student or anything like that. It mm-hmm. just doesn't really come into my, my realm of thought. My thought is how can I make this player better? What I do to make them better and try to find the best way to communicate that to them and, and get them to buy into to what I'm telling them. And, Obviously, I've had guys that have, I've seen a couple times and they don't like what I have to say. And I wish them all the best and, and move on because I, I just feel like there has to be that chemistry and there has to be that belief from student to teacher and from teacher to student for it to, to last long term and for it to work. And, you know, I've been going out on tour for 25 years and it's definitely changing. I mean, the players now that are getting on tour, are, it's a lot more of the what have you done for me lately type situation to where they want instant gratification and instant success. And, and, uh, whereas, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, you know, you didn't really lose players very often there. Number one, there weren't many coaches going out on tour at that time. So there was only a handful of guys going out there and, and the players pretty much stuck with the coaches that they had had worked with and had success with. And, and now there's so many coaches out there and there's so much information, as you said, and there's so many, uh, opportunities to, to try different things and work with different coaches and things like that. I I think players are just a lot less patient than they were, Mm. you know, a long time ago. So, you know, I've done it a long time. I had a lot of success with a lot of different players and I kind of uh, enjoy the success we have when we have it. And if a player thinks there's someone out there that's, that's better suited to help them with their game, then, you know, you have to respect them for that and, and part friends and, and move on. And I remember out here at TPC probably, 15, 20 years ago, walking with Butch Harmon down the 12th fairway here at uh, TPC Sawgrass and him putting his arm around me and he says, TA, no matter how good you do with your players, ultimately you're probably going to get fired. You'll have taken two guys in number one and they both fired. So <laughs> just do the best you can. And, you know, if they leave, they leave and you just go on to the next guy. And I've, yeah. I've never forgotten that. And uh, I've always tried to to be true to who I am as a coach and try to do the things I need to do to make the player better. And and not uh, compromise on my beliefs and the things that I, I feel like they need to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's so true. And it just, unfortunately, I think it's 
only going more that way. The specialization in the sport is just amazing, really. And I had Dr. Brett McCabe on a couple months ago, and I, I said, is it too much? Is there too much going on out there? And we have to scale this back at some point because we just can't process all that. You know, at some point, you just got to get up and hit it or cut it or chip it. I mean, I understand there's times to break it down and the specialization. And he just thought that he felt that, no, it's just going to get bigger. I mean, he thinks the teams will just continue to grow and, and get better. And the specialization will be as it is. There'll be specialists in reading Bermuda greens versus bank grass greens. It, it's amazing really um, where the sport is versus like you said, when you started 25 years and you've been with Billy for 15, he's won six times. Uh, he won the Zurich in 2013 as an individual. And then, uh, of course, the big year in 14, he wins the BMW and the Tour Championship. He's the FedEx Cup winner, Byron Nelson in 17. Then he wins the team competition, Zurich, with Piercy in 18. And, and then this match play, WGC Dell Technology, this year, 2021, which is match play. And they darn near, him and Burns, darn near won the Zurich again this year. Mm -hmm. So when you look at Billy Horschel, I, you, you, you think about, okay, he's a great teammate, number one in these team competitions. Number two, he's very good at match play. And I'll be honest. I probably, when I'm putting the team together with the Ryder cup this year, and he's right there as a pick, I probably overlooked him a little too much. Is it fair to say Billy gets a little overlooked because he doesn't hit it as far, say as a Scotty Scheffler or a Sam Burns, when we're looking to put together the best team possible for team USA next week. Well, I think it's a fair statement. I know Stricker uh, mentioned that it's a long golf course, and I think he kind of made his picks based on it being a long golf course and trying to, I'm sure they're going to set it up super long because I think that's where the Americans have the advantage. And so as you're the home team, you're trying to set the golf course up. That's going to benefit your team and be an advantage to USA and, and, and hopefully be a, a negative advantage to the uh to the europeans but i i feel like when you pick a team obviously that has to be a factor how how do you find a player that fits within the, the golf course that the, the tournament's going to be played upon i also feel like there's team chemistry that has to be looked at and i also feel like you need to have some guys that have a little bit of I don't want to call it controversy, but a little bit of grit and a little bit of fire in their belly. And, you know, Patrick Reed's a perfect example of that. I mean, he's been great in the Ryder Cups um, because he's a little controversial and he's not afraid to get in a guy's face. He's not afraid to throw a fist pump out there and and, and do the things that kind of get the crowd going and, and be the villain, so to speak. And Billy's got a lot of that in him, too. I mean, he's a great match play player. He played great. Him and uh, Rory had that, that epic match in the uh, Walker Cup where they – you know, Rory basically just said, I just don't like this guy. I mean, he got under my skin. I didn't like him fist pumping. And they kind of laugh about it now. But back at the at the time, I mean, he kind of got into Rory's head a little bit. And and uh, they had a great match. I think, I think Rory ended up winning the match. But, you know, just the fact that he talks about it just tells you a little bit about kind of the, the kind of player Billy is and the kind of competitor he is. Mm -hmm. and, and so I feel like, you know, when you're picking a team, you have to, you have to get right, the right chemistry, but you also have to have some guys like Poulter on your team that, you know, let's just face it. He hasn't had a great year this year playing wise from a stroke place perspective, but he's a great match play player and he's a great competitor. And, and so I think sometimes you have to factor that in. I'm, I'm sure they did at some point with the 
all the former captains and all the players and all that kind of stuff that go into it. And we have a great team. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I just wonder, you know, we've lost the last two and it's easy to sit here and say, you know, what are we missing? You know, what's going to help us because on paper we're, we're a better team. You know, if you look at it from that perspective, but are we a better team when we're playing these formats and are we picking players that are going to be better match play players and going to be better head to head players? Cause it, it's different when you're playing a person versus you playing a, you know, 120 player field. So um, it's an interesting controversy. We can sit here and debate it all we want. If, if we end up winning the cup, we're going to say, Hey, you know, we did a great job of picking the team. The team came together. It's great team chemistry. La, da, 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 da. But if we lose, then there's going to be the second guessing. And, and those are some of the things I think that'll be talked about. I do think with the schedules and the way that they are, you know, there's, we're asking a lot from our professional players, you know, with the season long race, the majors, WGCs, now this alliance with the European tour and the fall series, you know, there's, there's a lot there. Ryder cup, president's cup. I just think, you know, it's a different world today. And I think where we're going is, is the goal. I think in years to come, 10, 20 years from now is going to be fielding a team of 12 that a have the right attitude and B want to be there. Because I do think we're getting to a spot where like, there's guys that don't want to be there. You know, a, they're not getting paid B they don't like the team competition. And I think we can kind of sense that with some of Brooks comments now. And I'm sure there's others that feel that way. And it's unfortunate. It's certainly not the way it was when we were young and watching the Ryder cup. I still think it's golf's best event on the global stage. Um, there's no intensity and pressure like it. And I just think that's where we're going. So anyway, we could talk about that for a long time. And I want to go back to Billy, um, who, like I mentioned, has won twice this year, once on the PGA tour, once on the European tour. And when I was, we were talking with Billy on the stripe show pod and I was looking at his stats and I just looked at him over the years. I'm like, you know, Billy is a sneaky, really good driver of the ball. Hits about 295, but from a strokes gain perspective, he chews you up. I mean, he is in the upper echelon when the strokes gain standpoint and he was talking about kind of loading up into the trail side this this right leg some of the things that you work on talk about that and and billy the the driver well he's he's been a top 10 driver total driving on tour several years um and you know he he is a very good driver of the ball i, I think the thing for billy that i've always liked about his golf swing is you know he has you know very very his head's very still, very wide arc, and pretty good rotation through the ball. So there's not a lot of things that go wrong. He doesn't have a lot of looseness in his swing. It's a pretty back and through, pretty simple motion. And but one of the key things, and this is going to sound boring to the folks out there listening, is that we work a lot on his setup and we work tirelessly on his posture because inevitably when things start going bad with Billy, it's normally something in his in his posture. So recently we, we worked a lot his his hips tend to get really open. He's got very tight internal hip rotation. And so his left hip tends to get pointed very far to the left. And when he does that, he can't really load into his right hip. So when he gets to the top of his backswing, he doesn't really have a stable right leg and his upper body tends to slide forward. And then from there he kind of stalls out and has to try to save it with his hands, which he hates. So we are constantly trying to get his lower body square and almost set his, his right hip down and, and in a little bit on the backswing so that from there he feels like he can really just load into his right hip and glute and at the top of his backswing have a very stable right leg 
because the feeling he likes from the top is he likes to feel like his right arm and elbow come down in front of his right hip. And then from there, as his body opens up, he can just keep his right elbow and his right forearm kind of behind the shaft and just let his body open up and his hands and, and club kind of arc to the left with his body rotation. So, you know, we've been working really hard on trying to get his right leg stable so he doesn't over rotate, and get long and kind of get all that looseness at the top of his swing. And like I said, it, it all starts with his setup. If we can get him set up correctly and, and get him in a position where he feels like he can can turn into that right leg and kind of load his light, right glute. And then from there in this transition, try to keep his right side, his right hip stable and get his arms to come in front of him. From there, he feels like he can open up and, and hit pretty straight to maybe the ball falling slightly to the right. And you know, that's kind of what we've been working on lately. And he hit the ball unbelievable at the, at the um, open championship this year. I think he met in, uh, what was it? Saturday, Friday and Saturday. Or was it Saturday, Sunday? I think it may have been one of those two days. I think he only missed two greens and uh, just didn't make any putts. So mm-hmm. he's been, his ball striking has been coming along. And then and this week, you know, over at the BMW, he just played beautifully the last day. I think he only missed the, I think he missed the first green. That was the only green he missed all day and shot 65 and wedge shot on the last hole, hit it up there, you know, kick in to, to win. So, mm-hmm. you know, satisfying, you know, he said that was probably the best shot that he's hit coming down the last hole when he's needed it. Um, he's never really had to do that. He's made putts and things like that, but he, he just hit a beautiful wedge in there and, and, uh, luckily it was good enough to win. So, yeah, I mean, I think his driving, he's underrated as a, as a driver, of the ball, his iron game has not been as good the last couple of years. And that, that's something that we're really trying to, to get back to, you know, practicing a lot of, you know, hitting partial shots and being able to hit his numbers and things like that. But, uh, you know, he's an underrated putter too. He's a top 50 putter every year strokes gained and, and, uh, so he's he's a pretty solid player. Short game over the last five years has gotten a lot better. So we're that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get him to where he doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses. Where he, you know for a major championship, if you can drive the ball and play and get your iron game, you know, good and, and you know on the greens you miss if your short game's good enough to save you and you putt decent, you know that's the formula and just hopefully have it all come together in a week. And I feel confident that if he gets in the hunt, he's usually pretty good. He's usually yeah. not afraid of that that spotlight. So it's just question of of getting him there and we just haven't had he had a chance early in his career at uh uh marion he was in the second to last group in the u.s open and uh didn't play great the last day but other than that he really hasn't had a chance to win a major which is which is shocking for the way he hits the ball but uh, hopefully that's going to change yeah that seems like his next step now is is getting more competitive in the majors you mentioned the right glute and i want to get to his putting as well in a second but this loading into the right glute is this something he can feel like he can feel the glute activate you know tiger mentioned that and people kind of had fun with it but it's a real thing right activating your glutes the right glute loading and receiving that kind of turn is it something that he can feel in his glute versus then when he doesn't do it right he can't feel it yeah he just he feels real loose his right hip over rotates and then he, he doesn't feel any pressure down in his right glute in his quad so when he when he feels like he turns kind of up into that and against it he feels stability and when it when he doesn't it just feels loose and uh, he doesn't feel like he can make the right transition his transition gets quick he's kind of a quick quick guy anyway and Mm -hmm. so when he doesn't have stability then he gets really quick and so we can get him stable up there then he can control the the pace of his transition and that's when things tend to match up nicely for him so yeah, to answer your question, I think he feels pressure into his right quad and, and through his right glute. 
And this, this, he, sometimes I see him wearing this contraption on his, on his shoulder too, like his right shoulder. Is that to kind of help him get the elbow, the right elbow kind of in and the, the shoulder externally rotating, say to the top of the swing and then coming down where he doesn't want that elbow to kick out so much? Um, he wears, it's actually on his, uh, he wears a, a strap around his left arm. He, he wears one of those, uh, Oh, what are they called? I can't think what they're called right now. They, that measures all your heart rate and all that stuff. Okay. Um, on his right for on his right bicep, that maybe is what you're seeing. But he, he uses a strap yeah. around his left arm. Okay. To try to to try to keep a little more connection there, because sometimes he he gets a little lifty with his arms going back. But and I've seen him do it around both arms too. So maybe it's just to keep his right arm down a little bit at the top mm-hmm. of the swing. Because that but, right um, elbow, like you said, kind of staying in and front. down and in front of him a little more. Yeah, down and in yeah. front of him and not the elbow sticking out, right? Because we see, yeah. take us to the amateur player here on the tee. We see a lot of players from the top. Of course, they come over it, but a lot of players pull down, right? Like they'll, they'll mm-hmm. pull down with the left. The shaft will stack up, the lead wrist extends, and they get real narrow, and that, that right elbow is like, you know, really kicked out. They can't get that elbow like underneath like Billy where that shaft will kind of pitch behind him a little bit at the end of the day, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like that's what you see the best players do. They, you know, they get that club pitched behind them and the face prepared and then they just kind of turn and hit it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So trying to get the the left arm on plane and, and making a good turn and keeping that, that right arm a little more out in front of your chest so that, you know, when you do make your transition, that right elbow can drive kind of down out in front of you. The shaft can, flatten and kind of get on the top of your right forearm. And, and then from there you can just rotate and, and, uh, and hit it with your, with your turn. And Billy doesn't want to feel his hands participating as a result of that, right? He just wants to turn and no. hit it. And it's like the club face is there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like it when he, when his body gets a little out in front and his right arm gets behind his hip and then he has to feel like mm. he has to catch up by throwing that right hand and arm out away from his body. The crazy thing is, is Billy could shoot 65, probably doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these guys are good. I mean, they're not, not all their swings are perfect, but man, they, they know how to get it done. It's amazing. Yeah. It's frustrating, you know, as a fan, when you sit there and they come in and like, yeah, I hit it like crap today. It's like, what? Like, wait a minute. Yeah. I played terrible. Shot 67. I mean, that's like, that's a professional talking, you know, I mean, they're just, they know how to get the face on it, get it around, minimize. Yeah, they damage. all have, they all have ways of, I call it like tennis. If if your first serves in, the game's easy. So if you're standing up and you're smashing it down the middle, and you know everything's good, it kind of everything's lining up, and you know there's no really no issues. But you know in tennis, if your first serve's not in, you better have a second serve. You better have something that you can hit and eliminate one half of the golf course and kind of put the ball out there and play, and then try to score from there. And I, I think all these guys are really good at when they need to of eliminating left or right and just being able to put it out there and play, and then their wedge game and their putting and all that kind of stuff doesn't really get that far off. So if they can just kind of keep it out there and play and get it on the green, a lot of guys, that's good enough. They can make enough putts to, to shoot a good score. Mm-hmm. Talk about Billy, the putter, because he's a great putter too. You know, he gets it in play off the tee and he can putt and, you know, you got to have two things you can do right in professional golf. Some guys, great iron player. They can't putt. Um, some guys, great driver, you can putt a little bit. Like you got to have a couple pieces of the, of the puzzle, right? At least do better than average. Billy driving and putting. Um, 
when you when you look at him, he's left hand low number one. The first thing I always think of Billy when in putting is he is he's just like exceptional in fast Bermuda greens. I, I mean, yeah, it's that's, like, just, that's where he lo- he loves fast Bermuda for sure. I, I mean, fast Bermuda greens, the guy's just deadly um, with the putter. What? What do you think? What do you think? Like, if you had to dig into that a little bit, like fast greens, guys that are really successful, is it just, is it the ability to be able to kind of, I mean, obviously start it online, but be able to kind of hit the putt so softly, number one, and keep it online, and then number two, to be able to take enough break and, you know, obviously feed it in there. What, what, what are some things when you watch Billy putt that's just like, damn, that's good? Well, first of all, he's an exceptional green reader. Okay. He, he reads the greens really well. So I think when he walks into the putt, he's got a really good idea of, of where he needs to start it. Um, he's pretty consistent. I, I think he could get better with his speed control, especially from, say, 8 to 25 feet. Sometimes he gets a little too aggressive, and, and other times it's not quite getting to the hole. So that's something I think when we get a little bit of off time, we're going to spend some time just working on, you know, when you miss a putt, I, I want to kind of go in the same distant pass every time. So that way you, you always have a consistent read where if one time you're dying at the next time you hit it firm, you, you're always having to adjust your read where if you have a pretty consistent read all the time, it's a little bit easier to to match that speed up to it. So, um, but I think the thing that really makes him a great putter and, and the thing that we, we did a few years ago, probably going back 10 years now is when he went to left-hand low, he wanted to eliminate hitting the putts left. He never wanted his ball to start left. So he, he never wants to pull the putt. So, you know, his hands are kind of high. He forward presses a lot. He gets his left arm kind of hanging under his left shoulder. And then then basically from there, he just kind of pushes the putter back with his left hand and shoulder. And then he just drives his right arm through. So there's very little putter face rotation. And he um, he just hits the ball in line a lot because of that he doesn't have a lot of face rotation and then he reads the greens well and so it's just a question of you know whether he he matches the speed to his line and uh you know it, it's amazing to me when i watch guys on tour they all have good strokes the strokes aren't that that bad but it's just i think i don't think there's a lot of great green readers out there i think mm. the guys who are leader are better green readers and then the guys that can really control their speed you think of tiger back in the day when he was winning all these majors, you know, he'd have a 40 footer. He'd, he'd put it up there tapping and it looked like it's going in, just barely missed tapping it. He's not grinding on four and five footers coming back. Like you see some guys doing it. And so to, to answer your question, I think, I think Billy works hard on his putting on his speed. He works hard on the rhythm of his stroke. And then obviously I, I just think that he has a really good feel for, you know, seeing the break of the putt and then just being able to, to visualize the ball going down that line. And then it's just a question of just, having the rhythm match up with his, with his speed and, and um, the putts he doesn't make, he seems like he barely misses. He, I mean, when I watch him play, just, I watch so many putts. Like, I don't know if you watched the BMW, the putty on his 17, he hits so many putts like that. Like, How did that putt not go in? Mm. And, uh, but he's, he's very confident. I think he's number one on tour inside of five feet, you know, so that gives him confidence. Mm-hmm. Like he hit a putt on 16 uh, at the BMW, he knocked it five feet by. And I'm like, Holy cow, I'd be, shaking in my boots if I had to, and he just walked right up and rammed it right in the middle of the hole. You know, so if you're really good inside of five feet, it, you don't have to be so precise with your speed. However, I think the best putters um, kind of have a speed that they hit all their putts. And so when they miss the putt, it's going consistently that pace past the past the hole. And that's kind of the, the thing I think that 
when he's not putting well that he struggles with a little bit. When you talk about that takeaway, how does he take it away with the left hand again? And then what is the mechanism of the right coming through? Yeah, well, he, he feels like you watch him, he, he kind of gets over next to the ball and he, he gets his hands on the putter and then he just slides it in and hits it. So once he kind of gets the face, it's kind of parallel to where he's trying to hit it. He just slides it in and hits the putt. Mm-hmm. So he's almost aiming the face before he sets it in there. Mm-hmm. And then he just, he kind of slides up and hits the putt. But he, um, he, what he likes to feel is in his setup, he likes to feel like his left arm is just hanging under his shoulder. He kind of presets his hands forward. And from there, he kind of feels like he pushes the putter back with his left arm and shoulder. And then on the way through, he just drives his right arm on the way through. So his left arm pushes it back. And then really trying to pull it through with his, with his left, which tends to get his left shoulder to open up. He just kind of drives his right arm almost like a piston in behind it. So he swings it back with the left arm and shoulder and then drives it through with the right. And uh, that way his forearms kind of stay in that same plane. He doesn't get a lot of arc to his stroke. and doesn't get a lot of face rotation. There you go, folks. It, that's, a, that's some great insight right there as far as a way to use the left-hand low mechanism. I like that. You know, it's not so shoulder-driven. It's, it's a little more arm-driven. And as you said, kind of keeps the left shoulder in there just a little bit more through the strike. He doesn't wipe it, maybe. Um, and that's kind of how I like to teach putting. I, I feel like I've taught, I've worked with Brant Snedeker for a long time. And one of the things I do differently, you're talking about specialists, is I, I basically, with my players, I teach everything. I teach putting, full swing, short game. So most of my guys don't really have any other coaches. And so when I taught Brant, I taught him everything. And, mm-hmm. and he was a very handsy, kind of armsy player. And I just feel like when, you know, your hands are kind of your, your mechanism that you use every day. You know, when you're writing, when you're on your computer, driving your car, you're always using your hands. So that's where all your feel is. And so when you take your hands out of it and you use your shoulders too much to me, I see the head moving around a lot. I see there's really no feel there. So I, I like to kind of, I like to kind of get the shoulders to be the followers, try to get the hands and the, and the putter head to, to swing a little bit more. And that'll swing the arms and the arms will move the shoulders as opposed to trying to use the shoulders to, to move the arms and the putter. And, uh, I think people that really struggle with their putting, they they get so rigid and so stiff that they don't have any feel. They're just trying to mm-hmm. move their shoulders so much. And then their body starts moving around. They start mishitting it. They don't really have any feel as far as for distance control and things like that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I teach putting. I'm, there, there are a lot of different ways of doing it, obviously. And, and, um, but I, I feel like people, they get yippy with it, with their putting. I, I think it's because they, they don't get enough swing in the putter head and going back. So then they have to over, do it going through and then their their left wrist starts breaking down they start throwing the, the putter head past the, the lead wrist and a lot of bad things happen when that starts going on another guy that um that you've worked with for a while just won the uh the u.s am uh the u.s amateur and yeah, tyler strafacci he's uh he's a guy that's got a bright future and um it was fun to watch him you win the u.s am tell us about him a little bit and, and where we're going to see him next well, I started working with Tyler when he was in the ninth grade, so it's been kind of a, a long journey with him. He's always been a very uh, hardworking player. He's always been very goal-oriented. One of the guys that kind of interesting, he wrote down all his goals uh, before the summer, before the summer of 2020 when he won the USAM and just wrote out, you know, he wanted to win the US Amateur, wanted to be on the Walker Cup, wanted to win two major amateur events, uh, all these different things, and he achieved all of them just by writing them down. So any of the mm. juniors out there, I mean, it helps if you, you actually sit down with a piece of paper and write it down and look at it every day. And to achieve it was, was amazing. He just kind of got onto a really good run there 
um, last summer or in 2020 going into the USAM. We won a couple, won the Northeast or the North, South, North and South and won uh, the Palmetto AM and uh, then went ahead and won the USAM. But he, um, you know, he got sick at the Walker Cup like a lot of guys did. That He lost a lot of weight and then went right from there into making some professional starts. I just don't think he was 100% healthy and so, you know, he kind of, you know, you get, when you win the US Amateur, you kind of get thrown in the, in the fire pretty quickly. I mean, you get to play in the Masters and you play with the defending champion and you play in the US Open, you play with a couple of major champs. And I, I think that stage was, was pretty big, pretty fast. And uh, I think he, I don't want to say he was, he, he, he even admitted, he said, you know what, he said, I thought I was ready for that, but he said, I don't think there's anything you can do to prepare for that and didn't have a lot of success. And so, he's kind of uh, realized that, you know, I'm going to have to get on tour the, the old fashioned way. I'm going to go through Q school and I have to go through the corn ferry and he's playing some mini tour events now. And he's, he's played well. And he called me the other day and he says, TA, he said, you know, I shot 500 and I made the cut on the number. He said, these guys are shooting 15 under for two rounds. <laughs> he said, these guys are really good. And I said, well, you're going to have to learn that, you know, when you play professional golf, you know, even par is not a good score anymore. Mm-hmm. And college golf and amateur golf, you go out and shoot, you know, two under a day, you're, you're doing pretty well, but you play on some of these mini tour events on golf courses that aren't super difficult, but these guys are shooting 63, 64, 62. And I said, you're gonna have to change your mindset and, and, you know, go out there thinking that, you know, I've got to shoot five or six under today to, to contend as opposed to going out there thinking that bar's a good score. So he's, he's learning. He's, he's uh, getting ready to go to Q school. He's coming down uh, next week. He's coming up next week from South Florida where he lives. And, and uh, just your typical really good young player that's realizing that the guys out there playing golf for a living are really good, and I've got to get better to be able to com- compete with them. Even though I won the U.S. Amateur, these guys don't care. Yeah. I've got to go out there and, and do the things I need to do to get better and, and figure out how to compete. And he will. He's always been kind of a kind of a slow developer. He's not a guy that's gone from A to B very quickly. He just progressively gets better at each level and started in junior golf and, and then got better each year and then in college golf got a little bit better and then amateur golf. So this is going to take him a little while, but he's a great kid. He's a hard worker and he's very talented. He's got all the, uh, all the pedigrees and, and all the uh, work ethic and all the talent that you need to get there. It's just going to, it's going to take some time and some patience. And a lot of these, as we've said, a lot of the, the younger generation aren't patient, but he's pretty patient. You know, he yeah. said, I know I got to get better. And he said, I've been out there and I, I know what it takes. And he said, I don't want to, I don't want to get out there until I'm ready. And I feel like I can contend and, and play great. So it'll be good for him. Hopefully get through Q school. And maybe if he plays two or three years out of the corn ferry, I think it'd be, it'd be fine just learning how to continue to develop your game and compete at the highest level. It's got to, it's, it's going to take most of them time. I mean, it's so competitive now. Um, and they're coming from everywhere all over the world. And, uh, you know, so it's okay to get in there. Yeah. The good news is there's more places to play now. You can make a little money and uh, and find your way and it sounds like you know he's he's able to do that benchmark figure out what he needs to do differently to leverage himself as a better player and uh, and continue to move up the ladder i heard xander softly say that this year's corn Ferry tour graduates the 25 that came in uh it's the best class ever like it's so deep and and these guys and it's just it just feels like that's going to be the case um for years to come, not only from the Corn Ferry Tour, but then the tours underneath that, Latin American Tour, the Canadian Tour, all that. Just so many great players filtering through there. 
Um, so uh, it's going to be fun to watch him. Yeah, it was uh, he got on quite the run there to win the U.S. Amateur. And uh, what a story coaching him from eighth grade. So, Todd, I know you're busy. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing some secrets. Uh, it's been fun watching Billy Horschel. And uh, let's get a major championship. I mean, that, that's, that's the next step, I would think, for, uh, for Billy. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated elixir and low-compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 